Hey, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem Podcast, where we aim to help you, the big-hearted changemaker with a bold vision to build a business that gives you butterflies and a life that makes you want to high-five yourself. How? By addressing the interconnected nature of all that you do. From marketing to mindset and everything in between, we believe your business is more ecosystem than monoculture and that when it comes to creating sustainable success, it's all connected and there is no one-size-fits-all formula. Join us for conversations that embrace nuance, elevate the importance of empathy, and address the diverse and unique strengths that enable entrepreneurs to not just make money, but to make real lasting positive change in a regenerative and revolutionary way. Hey, 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 welcome back to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem. I'm like in a singing mood today because number one, I'm super sleep deprived and I get a little wacky when I am awake seven times in the night with my Tabby. And number two, because we've got an incredible guest today who also has a Tabby, toddler baby, and a bunch of other children and a multiple six-figure business. And I haven't gotten to chat with her in a few years. So selfishly, this is like a fun catch-up. And yeah, same here, Shanti. Thanks so much for having me. I, I feel like I'm just having a reunion that also will be a business conversation. That's really the reason why we do this podcasting thing. It is a good excuse to have conversations with very interesting people. Podcasting counts for social life, right? Absolutely. Definitely in my world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to give you a proper introduction. So Michal is the founder of Michal Isikowitz. Did I say that right? You got it. You got it. Points points for you. Three points for you. Challenging last name, soul (laughs) sisters. And that is a micro agency that helps B2B SaaS brands replace yawn-inducing website copy with engaging messaging that resonates She's also the founder of Copy Tribe, an instructor-led foundational program that has trained over 300 copywriters and freelancers to date. A former journalist and hopeless perfectionist who worked in-house for years before going solo, Michal 10X'd her business in 24 months thanks to, mostly, a slow and steady LinkedIn strategy and a killer website that took a long time to push live. We're going to talk about both of those things today. Now, grateful to be at the helm of a multi-six-figure business, she's still hard at work trying to wean herself off the one ice cream a day diet. We have to talk about that too, because I am in the same boat. Really? Oh, that makes me feel good. Yes. And I think of you when I eat my ice cream. I'm like, Michal does it, so it's okay. It's fine. So don't stop, please. Or I'm, then... corrupt. I'm just corrupting the world along with me. <laughs> You got to keep it up. Um, Michal currently lives in Israel with her husband and five kids. No, Energizer Bunnies, about 30 minutes from Tel Aviv. She's hoping there's a 34 under 34 list out there she can still make. 
And while she often misses her family in New York, she never misses New York weather. So you can stalk her at michaleiswitz.com or connect with her on LinkedIn. And we will give you all the links today at the end in the show notes. And yeah, whoa, I love that bio and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You do a great job presenting. Well, we love to ask this question to all of our guests and just to get to know a bit about who you are and how you operate. So do you identify with any of the characteristics of any framework that's helped you to better understand yourself, your your potential setbacks, your strengths? So it could be anything from astrology, Enneagram, DISC, Colby, Strengths Finder, any of those you like? Yeah, it's so way. interesting. Yeah, I, I, I've kind of struggled with this for years because I'm so anxious to like read that book that will just magically provide clarity and be like, yes, that's me. And I have to do all these things and I have to fix all these things. And people swear by the Enneagram and other frameworks. And I have like yet to find myself, like I read the, you know, the Enneagram book and I'm like, but I'm a, I'm, I forgot which one's even. I'm like, I'm like, the, I'm like a one, two and four. I forgot what I said, but I was like, I can't find myself. I'm just too all over the place. So I actually haven't quite used a system to help me build self-awareness and grow. But I can say that like on a personal level, I'm a huge believer in therapy. Um, done it for years. And like that has really helped me build a lot of self-awareness. I also find that having a team has allowed me to better see my strengths and weaknesses and like encouraging my team to be very honest with what's working for them, what's not. And their experience working with me has opened my eyes into things I can improve upon and the things that I should double down on. So those have been like two great sources of insight for me. Mm, I love That's that. That's such a good point. Therapy. Yeah. Like you don't, might not necessarily find the answers in an assessment, but certainly in a, in a committed long-term relationship with someone who's there for you and, and willing to guide you and provide support. That's probably a lot more effective than any framework or assessment or book out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at the same time, I do believe that these frameworks help a lot of people and I'm still like kind of looking and seeing, I'm always looking for added insight and seeing if something clicks and something resonates. I actually just took the Colby like last week. Uh, Someone recommended it. Someone recommended it to me as a hiring tool. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. Let me try this myself. And I did it. And I was like a little bit underwhelmed. Somehow I didn't feel like the results were super actionable for me that I was like, oh, okay, now I know what to do. Like, I still have to kind of like dive into the results and, and maybe like patience is not one of my virtues, speaking of self-awareness. So maybe I have to like sit on it a little bit more and try to see if, if there's a way to apply it or integrate it into my day-to-day living. But I don't know, hasn't, hasn't, ha- haven't found that magic one yet. Yeah. I love that because people don't actually fit into boxes, right? Like these assessments really are just like 
tools for your intuition and to see how it feels. And as an Enneagram eight, I'm like, screw all the boxes anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, I know. Paradoxical. I also love, and perhaps it's because of having the support of like a therapist and counselor, but your ability to work with your team in a relational way and then take feedback and learn about yourself in that way. I definitely think there is like nothing better than real relationships with real human beings for us to grow and, and to understand ourselves. As long as we have uh, the ability to uh, take feedback in both directions, right? Both critical and constructive. So that's a beautiful answer. Thank you for that. Yeah, sure. I actually once heard a beautiful idea. Someone shared that like your closest relationships like that with your partner spouse and your kids, if you have a family, those are like the laboratory for your deepest self-development and personal development, because like, it's very easy to behave really well with people you don't interact with so often and with people who you see on a full night's sleep and when you're at your best, but like the kind of relationships that are really close, that that's like a really good example of like that kind of sheds, shows shows like who you really are and that's where you can do your deepest work so that gives me that gives me encouragement like when things are hard like I tell myself like this is normal and this is my opportunity to really to really make progress and grow as a person mm. yeah absolutely so Michal when we first met you didn't have a team you didn't have a fancy amazing website that ever that way too many people have copied love to talk about that. And we were, I feel like we were both in kind of a similar place of just getting started in this whole copywriting universe and whoa, fast forward to today. So you have a team, it sounds like, and a micro agency, as well as I creeped your LinkedIn yesterday. I was looking at your, your posts over the last few months and just so impressed by you. You're so incredibly talented, such a great communicator, and clearly you're doing really well. And you've got this copywriting course, like there's a lot going on. You also have five children. Holy moly. Can you catch me up to speed, but also tell our audience a bit about where you're at in your business. And I'm really curious where most of your time goes. Yeah. These are great questions. So I first would like to dispel the myth that like you can build a six figure or multiple six figure business in a year without like a crazy ton of work. And even with a crazy ton of work, it's not likely that it's going to happen that quickly. I just want to kind of let people know that like what they see and the results that may seem like really exciting and shiny, like there was a lot of work and sweat that went behind that. And not everyone would necessarily want to make that kind of intense investment over a short period of time, like for many people, perhaps it would be better to do it in a steadier way. So like, I just want to take the glory off of it. Like it sounds great and I am excited about it and I really am grateful for it, but it was a lot, a lot of work and effort on my part. And I kind of did it like between, between babies. Like I had like a five and a half year break between my two youngest. And so that was like an opportunity for me to go big. But I always tell, especially mothers of like little babies, like don't try to accelerate your business like crazy right now. Like not a great time. It's just going to, it's going to frustrate you. So I think that 
where I am right now, um, I have this micro agency. We take on select B2B SaaS clients. We specialize in web copy. That's what we start with. And then we often do additional things for the client. But a good chunk of my year, I would say like five to six months each year, is dedicated to this foundational copywriting program that I run. And I call it a program and not a course because it's an interactive kind of incubator program that has a community and critique challenges and question and answers and ongoing daily moderation. So like it's a very, very personal, hands-on kind of program. It's not like a bunch of videos in a platform that you watch kind of thing. And the reason I created this program five years ago was actually I felt like it was the program that I was missing when beginning as a copywriter. Like Joanna Weeb's copy school is amazing. I own it. I love it. And it's like, it's really a a gold standard in like very deep advanced copywriting. But I felt like as as a newbie, as a real newbie, I felt like there wasn't something that took me from like zero to 20 in a very systematic, clear, basic way that assumed nothing that assumed that, you know, that I was so, so, and, 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 and I do also feel like that, especially at that beginner stage, or even if you have a few copywriting projects under your belt, but like, you're not feeling that confidence yet, you really need that personal interaction, like a relationship with someone and just watching videos doesn't really give you the confidence you need. You don't, you get no feedback on your copy. You have no idea if it's like, really awesome or really horrible. And so that's really the kind of program I set out to create. And thank God it's been really, really successful. And it has been very gratifying for me because I feel like, and I have a large percentage of women in the program, especially a lot of mothers too. And that's just, it wasn't intentional. That's just, I guess, who I attract as a person. And I would say about like 80% of the members are female. And that's very gratifying for me because I feel like women do have it harder. They have, there are more stumbling blocks or more obstacles in their path um, in growing their career. And if I can give them a leg up, then that's, that's really exciting for me. Like even research-wise, like you look at like psychological studies, um, women have less confidence, like naturally, they just do. They're less likely to apply for positions. They're less likely to ask for a raise. They're less likely to charge what they're worth. So all these things, and I feel like if we women can empower each other to grow businesses that create like that peace of mind for ourselves and our families, then then that's that's really powerful and exciting for me. So yeah, that's where I am right now. Wow. Okay, that made me think of an assessment that you might find interesting. Ooh. Speaking of just differences in um, for women specifically with certain things relevant to building a business. And this is like mindset wise, personality wise, and just common traits that women have more often than men. So the ocean assessment stands for conscientiousness, extroversion, assertiveness or aggressiveness, and then neuroticism. And when you compare like, so a lot of research has been done based on the ocean framework This is probably like the most scientifically backed personality framework that there is. And when you compare like males versus females in this system, women are often much, much more conscientious. Also, women most often score higher on neuroticism. (laughs) And 
we score much lower than men in like assertiveness and, and that like aggressive kind of like go and get it. No excuses, dominant energy. So I totally, yeah, get what you're saying there. And I think that's wonderful that you're supporting so many women and so many new copywriters. Yeah. Like I can tell you from personal experience that sometimes there'll be like a guy who took my course and like, he's a decent copywriter, but like still at the beginning level. And like, he'll go out there and like pitch these companies and like talk as if he like knows like the world and he's just a total expert. And then I have like some female graduates who are literally 10 times as skilled as this fellow, but like constantly second guessing themselves and like still struggling with it. And it's just, it's really fascinating to me. And the guy who was far less skilled, he is landing those jobs because of that abundance of confidence. So, I mean, this mindset is huge and like, it's something we really have to work on. Okay. So in your program, um, how do you support people into more confidence, uh, women and all people? So I think firstly, the fact that we have challenges like assignments after every module that they have to complete and that they get feedback, detailed feedback from critiquers, from a team of critiquers on, that gives them really good insight on what they're doing well, what needs improvement. And like they emerge from the program with like a bunch of portfolio samples of like solid copy that they've written and that they're proud of. So like there's nothing like doing the work that actually to, to improve confidence Um, But the second factor is community. So just like when you're second guessing yourself to be able to put that very vulnerable question in a Slack workspace or in some other forum and get a community of of honest but supportive people telling you if you're crazy or if you're totally on target. I I think that that we women, like we're social beings, we're probably more social than men. If I had to guess, I don't know. I haven't read up carefully on that, but like and I think that 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 support gives us the strength to try new things, to stretch our muscles, to be a little bit more assertive, you know, so we don't necessarily want to like be someone we're not, but to dial it up in certain situations. Love it. Yeah, I think I think you're entirely right. I think a lot of my confidence as a copywriter comes from working under Shanti for a number of years. So just like having someone like actually teach me and be like, oh, this is good. And this needs to be different has like given me such a leg up in all sorts of ways. So yeah, I totally think you're right. And it's cool because like I hear from so many copywriters, they're like, well, I never got to work for an agency. So I didn't get that feedback. Right. And actually their copy isn't as good as people who've had like loving, but critical feedback on on, on their work. So yeah, that's a beautiful program. I love it. I am. Um, yeah. I'm going to look at it. <laughs> like, I actually <laughs> encourage like a lot of graduates, if, if they're really new to copywriting, I encourage them after the program to try to get some kind of position, even if it's not so high paying, even if you know, it's, it's for an agency, the potential is much less than freelance, but like for that first two or three years, the experience and the confidence you grow with it, within that kind of environment with the right people managing you can be priceless. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. I did a couple projects with copy hackers, actually one with Nikki, we were talking about it beforehand and like just this stuff too with Nikki, the stuff I learned just like working with another, like really professional, really incredible copywriter. It like took me so much further than, yeah. Like I, I love copy school too, but then any of the courses that I've taken, can we talk a little bit about like the difference between a micro agency and an agency agency? Because I've been feeling like 
people should stop calling their agencies micro agencies. I want to know, <laughs> this is just like me lately. Like, I'm like, well, what makes you an agency versus a micro agency? I call mine a micro agency too, for the record. Yeah. So I'm curious, like how you define it. Exactly. So I use micro agency for two reasons. Number one, I want to imply that we are not this like big bureaucratic mm agency experience with like a team of people where you don't get that personalized experience and, and you're, 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 you know, you, you have, you close the deal with the CEO and then you never have any interaction with them again. And so that's like, number one, like I want to convey that we're a small team, very boutique and you get that, that like the more personal experience within, but with a small team. And the other reason I, I say micro is because like agency to me implies full service like design, visuals, mm-hmm. and messaging. So I want to convey like that we specialize in messaging and that's all we do. Like we not we don't deal with the the deeper like the initial branding or or the design aspects. Cool. Yeah, I, I like that. That makes it I like the idea of positioning it more as like boutique rather than small. Like I do like the idea mm. of a small team of course, but I feel like I don't know. It's like, would Chris Orzakowski ever call his agency a micro agency? And is this the uh, woman male thing? Right. I'm, I'm not sure. And that's just like something I've been ruminating on lately. That's such a good point. Like, are we unintentionally diminishing ourselves? Yeah. 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 Is there another way of saying it? A specialized agency or right. yeah, boutique. I like that too, which is another very feminine word. (laughs) Chris probably wouldn't call his boutique either, but. But I then again, a lot of things Chris does, I wouldn't do. So we're just going to have to (laughs) lean into our femininity and who we are. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So speaking of agency, I would love to chat about this a little bit and what it's been like to build an agency to go from one woman show to having a team how you've navigated that, what have some of the challenges been and what have some of the big wins been? Okay, this is a great question. And I'll just be very transparent and say that this is an ongoing journey for me. Like I have not figured this out by any stretch. Like there are some things I can speak like really confidently about. This is not one of them. And I feel like a lot of my wins to date in building this team have been pure luck. Like I can't, point to any system or process that I can replicate to get there again. Um, And that's really the biggest challenge for me. The biggest challenge for me is a solid, predictable, repeatable hiring system. So like having a really good understanding of how to hire well. So, so my cheat, my cheating hack until now has basically been to pull from my copy tribe graduates. So I kind of get to know these students over five months and I see who, I, who I'm really impressed with their work ethic, with their copy, with the way they interact in the community. And then I'll just reach out to them and say, hey, can you come join my team? And like so far, that's, that's, that's yielded really good results. Um, and it wasn't even like, I, it certainly wasn't my intention when creating the program, but like it has allowed me like a really nice pool of talent who already understand my process and, and the way I write copy. So that's been amazing. The, the, the place where I've, stumbled more is administrative positions. 
So like project, a project manager and, and a virtual assistant and the email marketing side of things, like being able to find talent in those spaces where I can't easily pull from my network. I had one very, very poor hire. And it taught me that like when you hire poorly, you, you will typically invest like thousands of dollars before ending the saga. And so it's a very expensive proposition, um, not just in money, but in headspace and resources and time. And so that has like really, I am like very focused right now on becoming better at hiring. And I, I have a lot of conversations with colleagues about this in Slack. Um, Sorsha McKenzie, I just had a conversation with her and she had some like amazing, amazing insights on interviewing. Like a lot of people focus when interviewing on like the questions to ask. But she pointed out like that there are so many unspoken, nonverbal cues that you want to be looking for. And she like gave me a list of like some things to look out for, how they answer the questions, like how much time do they think before answering questions? Like there were some stuff like that. So so that's really my journey now. And I think another big challenge for me has been like not being a micromanager. So I'm a very detail oriented person and I'm also a perfectionist. So I like everything to be done really well. And that can lead to being a micromanager. And, and it has been like a journey for me to let go. Um, I have a friend, Alisheva Perlman, who's an agency owner. And she always reminds me that like delegation is about someone else doing it 80% as good as you would. So it's never going to be as good as, I mean, ideally you hire people who are like super, super smarter than you. And maybe it's like 120% better than you would do it that's awesome. But sometimes it's not like sometimes, you know, depending on the role and the, and, and the task being completed, sometimes you would do a better job, but if you're doing 80% of the job, then like, that's okay. That's, that's scalable. That's sustainable. So that's what I try to remind myself when it's not like as perfect as I would have necessarily wanted it to be. And then do you go in and make it perfect afterwards? Very often. Yeah. Like depending on the, on the task and how, you know, and the time I have, but like, that's also been like an eye opener for me that like, I can hire people to do most of the work and then like put on a lot of the finishing touches myself. And that's, that's still a lot more scalable than doing it all myself. Totally. Yeah. I've heard that 80, 80%, 70, 80% metric too. And it's been really helpful for me, especially when working with writers, because I'm like, okay, yeah this is 70% and now I can take it the rest of the way there. And it's so much easier than doing it a hundred percent or 50%. Yeah. So, I think a lot of it is like, like just having the right expectations. Like mm-hmm. when you're not, when you're expecting 70 to 80%, so that's great. Then everyone is happy all around. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And communicating what those expectations are. I think that's been a big lesson for me is so often I would have expectations and then not necessarily have even communicated them and then they don't get met. And it's like, Oh, right. This is all, this is on me. So yeah, I'm curious, you're hiring employees or are you working with mostly contractors? Like, do you have opinions on that? No opinions yet. Right now, I've I've been mostly contract. Like it's it's all contractors who work for me on a steady basis. 
if someone wanted to be an employee and asked me for that, then I would like, that would change things also in terms of expectations on my end. Like right now, if you want to take a two week vacation in the summer, I just need a heads up about it and I'll work it out or bring on additional talent to cover the gap. Um, so it has pluses and minuses for the contractors as well. Right? Like until now, everyone's been happy with that kind of setup. And that, that that's like simpler for me from an accounting and business management perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So you have gotten to micro agency status, I assume, because you have this amazing like influencer level LinkedIn presence and you have the most impressive website that I think is become has become like this sort of beacon of of quality and and hashtag goals in the copywriter world. And so those two things like made a big difference, obviously. And I'd love to hear like when you realized you were at a point where you needed to bring on help and, and build a team. Yeah. Um, it happened very slowly. So like I started with I think it was more of, I, I, I just realized at some point that if I wanted to scale, then I need, and, and if I, if I wanted to scale without relying on info products as like the source of my income completely, then like the team was o- the only way to do it, especially at my season of life, right? Like Purna Malik talks about this a lot, like, like thinking about where you are right now. My, my time is so, so limited right now. So if I did everything myself, I would be able to take on like one client a month literally. And that's not, that's also like, maybe that's okay. But like, I feel like that doesn't really allow you to build a name for yourself. Like the growth becomes so slow that it's almost like not noticeable. So that's when I realized that like, yes, even though managing a team comes with its own set of challenges, it makes sense for me right now. And I, and I also, I also enjoy being a leader and I enjoy giving other people the opportunity to work on cool projects. Like, I think a lot of people have, have, like a lot of my team members have been grateful for the opportunity to work with clients and they've learned so much in the experience. So I kind of feel like I'm channeling a little bit of like my teacher, you know, kind of spreading the wealth. And I'm sure like in a couple of years from now, they might go ahead and, and go freelance and do their own thing. And I'll be so happy for them when they do. So just kind of like, passing it on. I really like this. And it's making me think of like the difference between like growing a team, which is something like people talk about, like just grow a team and then like growing within a team and helping individuals grow in your team. And yeah, I I wonder if like having that, having the copy tribe sort of gave you, or you gave yourself sort of the impetus to learn how to help people evolve as copywriters or so what came first, I guess, is part of the question. Like is it copy tribe came first or did growing your micro agency come first? They kind of happened simultaneously. I think for the first cohort of copy tribe, I had one team member. Yeah. And then like with every cohort, I added one probably. So now I have five. So yeah, it kind of happened at the same time. And I, I just like, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who like Believes that the size of your team is necessarily a great indicator of your success. Like, I don't think that there's a purpose in growing your team for the sake of growing a team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have people like this, these, this brings us back to like the classic marketers who, who talk about like their $2 million in revenue 
85% of which is paid out to their contractors, right? So like it's, it's, it's meaningless without context. I, I, I think that, that you, when, when growing a team, you have to do it systematically and steadily so that your clients don't lose out. Because if the team members aren't onboarded properly, and if you don't have really good processes in place, which I find we keep improving and refining, like every time another team member comes on board, then like the clients are going to end up suffering. And I see that even like we're doing construction now on a house. And I, I see that like you have these amazing vendors who started out solo and they were awesome and they did great work. And then they got flooded with client work. So then they, they created a team, but they didn't set them up properly. And then like six months later, you have a bunch of disgruntled clients and just under delivery. Um, so I think it's that like, it's, it's, it's being like careful about growing in a way that your clients are still thrilled with the end product and the experience. Yeah, I'm experiencing that right now with someone that I've worked with for a long time and he's grown his team. And now the, the quality and experience that I used to have and love is kind of disappeared. And it's really interesting to see that. Like I, I've struggled with that in my own business and building my own team is like maintaining a really good client experience and level of quality. And I know the challenges associated with that, but then to see it with someone that I'm working with, I'm like, oh yeah, this hits home on a whole other level. So yeah, I love that, that approach. And you mentioned, okay, so it's not about the size of your team. It's not about like how much, how much revenue you made. We don't know the full story there. And this reminded me of one of your posts that I saw yesterday on LinkedIn. You were talking about how you didn't reach any of your goals for the year. And this must've been like 2021. And and that you were celebrating that. And, and because you got to spend this beautiful year with your baby in his first year of life and what a blessing that is. And that opportunity will only come one time. And I loved that so much and really resonated. We had our, our youngest at the same time, pretty much. And for me, I remember being in a planning meeting with Don was there. Our team was there my online business manager, Sandra was there and we were, we were setting our goals for the year. And I was like, well, it'd be really cool to like hit that million dollar mark. And Sandra was like, can you just like back up a sec? Come on, come on. You're having a baby. I don't know if I, I probably had already had him. And what if you could make the same amount that you made the year before, but work less like, how would that feel? And the minute she said it, I was like, yeah, that's what I want. That's what would feel amazing. I don't actually care about hitting some like number mark so that people think I'm legit. Like it doesn't matter. What matters is the journey of getting to that place and that it's enjoyable and liberating. And why the heck do we do this work? Why did we start these businesses if not to have spaciousness to be with our kids and watch them grow up or travel and have fun and do what you want, go to a yoga class at 11 AM on a Wednesday. Like why else would we do this work? Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. 
I mean, it's so easy to lose sight of it. It's amazing. Like we, we started our businesses with such clear goals and then we just become like immersed in them to the point where like, it's, it's so easy to overlook that. And, and like, I, I went through a similar thing, like, but right before my baby was born, we had like an amazing revenue year. It was like my highest revenue ever. And I was like very on fire. So I think I remember I was like actually like nine months pregnant and I was typing out my goals, my money goals for 2021. And like, I had like insane money goals. I was like, yeah, I'm going to double it. And like, like, like looking back at it now, like there was no like real itemized plan to actually get there without like a crazy amount of stress. But like, you know, you, you know, when you're like on fire and you feel like the world is your oyster and like, you can do this, you can do anything. So like, that's the state of mind I was in when I wrote those goals. And then like, I read it like a year later and I just like laughed. I'm like, what was I thinking? So listen, was it a letdown that like, I, I, I fell so far from that number? Yeah. But on the other hand, like, like, like I wrote in the post, like I really tried to reframe that for myself. It doesn't sound nearly as glamorous to say I made the same amount of money working fewer hours, um, but it's a total win. Yeah. Like where do these big money goals even come from? Like not our hearts, right? And, and not like what our like soul's purpose on this earth is, if that's something you believe in. That's like external metrics from like what success is supposed to look like in this like outdated economy. Like really, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I like, a hundred percent love the idea of like making the same amount or making a little bit less and yeah, taking a Wednesday afternoon off. Like that is a way higher return on the investment I put into my business than, I don't know, like pulling in an extra couple four figures or five, like, I guess maybe, maybe I would work every Wednesday afternoon if I was bringing in like an extra 10 K a month, <laughs> but like, <laughs> chances are, then I would be like, yeah, but I have to take two months off every year in order to like recoup the energy that it took to like be on all those sales calls. And right. like, even if you're a like agency model and you're just doing that 20, 30% polish slash strategy at the beginning, there's just so much work involved in that. And I don't know, I like, this is cliche, but like, I want to work to live not not to live to work and like bank balances are important and like no debt is beautiful but like I don't know the way that money's going right now what are we going to be working (laughs) (laughs) working so so hard and not even doesn't even matter all right 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 yeah. yeah yeah Um, I, I think that it, it, it comes probably from like a hole inside of us a little bit that still craves recognition from the people around us. And like the currency in the world we live in is how much you're making. So we feel like we haven't quite made it if we're not hitting those goals. But yeah, totally agree with you. I love what you said about like the 2 million revenue year, but you're only keeping 15% of it anyway. So that's almost just for bragging rights. And maybe though, this beautiful thing where you're also supporting other people to have, to to make good money. And that might be like actually like a sole purpose thing too. Right. But yeah. uh, And I mean, that's, that's the myth really. The myth is that you can have it all. You can't, you really can't. I mean, there are ways to set up a more scalable business that can, that can make you money to some extent while you sleep, like caveat, caveat, it's never really while you sleep, you know, like it, it, so like passive is like a little bit of a misnomer, but I, I just feel like 
like we women need to acknowledge, especially us women and especially mothers um, of families, like, like bowls are going to drop. Like, don't delude yourself into thinking that you can um, work eight hours a day and grow your business rapidly while like having the um, headspace and, and peace of mind to like support your family in all the ways you want to. So like something's going to drop and maybe it's like, there are things that are more droppable than others. You know, like if your house is a little bit of a mess or like your house really could use like some decorating and you push that off for five years and you kind of live in a warehouse for five years. Like I could hear of worse things, you know? So like those bulls, like I think a lot of the, um, with the, the art is figuring out what can be dropped. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the balls that I'm unwilling to drop? And that like, for me is like always family first and kids come before business always, but that's not like, that sounds easy to, to just blurt out and say, but in practice is not always easy. And sometimes comes with a lot of guilt and shame and like, I should be doing better in both departments. And I wonder what your experience has been having five kiddos under 13 and, and building your business, like how do you prioritize which balls not to drop and follow through on that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that number one, like the easiest things to delegate are cleaning, housekeeping and food. Now food is like debatable, because like, there's something very special about creating the food that will nourish your family. So like, and especially if you love to cook and like the kitchen is your zone, then like, I could totally hear that that's not something you want to delegate and outsource. Um, I happen to hate cooking, hate the kitchen. Um, I, I, I get my grandmother's gene. My grandmother's name is Betty. And she like, she owns a couple of buildings in New York and her tenants used to call her Betty Spaghetti because like she did a lot of spaghetti for her kids growing up. Like yeah, that was her, that was her dish, you know? Um, she was in a, she's a very astute businesswoman. And she kind of taught me that there are lots of ways to give love. Like you don't have to be the mom type who's baking fresh chocolate chip cookies. You can do that once in a while if you want, but like it doesn't have to be your persona if it doesn't feel exciting or it doesn't speak to you. So for me, that's, I've, I've, that's been like the first things that I've outsourced, like the cleaning help, um, the housekeeping. And like, even if you are the type who loves to cook, there's so much food prep that you don't have to do. Like your kids will not remember you or cherish you because you were the one who scrubbed the toilet or peeled the seven sweet potatoes for supper. Like th- that kind of stuff can really be easily outsourced. So that's like the first stop for me. And also like, we don't often think of this as outsourcing, but like buying frozen vegetables or buying like even like your, you know, like your chickens that your proteins like cut up and ready to go and be thrown in like silly hacks like that. That's also a form of outsourcing because you just outsourced your cutting and slicing to the butcher or like things like that. So those are like, that's like the first step. And, and then beyond that, like, I also want to point out that like, as much as I really try to put my family first. And that's a real goal for me. I also acknowledge that like my brain and my unique gift, like really require more than B 
being a stay at home mom. It's not, it's not for me. In other words, like I, I could not handle that um, and stay sane. It, it, for some people, like they're really working out of necessity. For me, I'm working both out of necessity, but also because I need it. I, I really need that stimulation. And, and it's been like a journey for me to allow myself that and to embrace that and say like, you know, but that that's, that's who I am. And as long as I find a healthy balance, my kids will appreciate that, especially as they grow older and they can connect with me in a more sophisticated way. They'll appreciate the, those parts of me too. So that, that's what I tell myself when I'm feeling guilty. Sometimes guilt is an indicator, like guilt can be good because sometimes it's, it's a strong indicator that something's wrong and something needs tweaking. Um, but sometimes it's just a function of being around people or societies who are just like telling you, you have to be a certain way. And like, you're not good enough if you're, you know, if, if that's not your goal. And I think that it's important to like give ourselves the space to be true to ourselves. And then, you know, very practically, like I have my work hours. And then once the kids are home from school, I really try to turn off. Um, some days more successful than others, but um, I don't have email on my phone. So I, I cannot check my email. And uh, it's interesting, like I used to work at night a lot, especially because I live in Israel and my clients are mostly in the States. But as my kids get older, like I'm really rethinking that. And I think like I may start with like two nights a week working at night and like and not the other nights because like kids need you around like at night. And that's like when they'll often open up and share stuff with you and talk to you and um, the feeling of like supper's over, mom's in her office. I, I, I feel like that's not, that's not um, in, an environment that I want my kids to have for years on end. You know, like mom not around evening hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that'll be an adjustment for me, but that's definitely like something I'm working towards this year. Yeah. Wow. Okay. No email on your phone. I'm inspired by that. I've been trying to give myself stricter email checking boundaries. I feel like I've gotten pretty decent at social media boundaries, but email is a free pass for me and I'll just check it incessantly, like with my coffee when I wake up and then even after I'm done working. So yeah, that sounds very liberating. To be able yeah. to no, it, it helps a lot. Like I, I have a friend who she put it so well. She's like, let's face it. I have zero self-discipline. So like, if I don't like put in external stuff to help me with this, like we're just, it's, it's hopeless. So like she, and she did something that really inspired me. She actually like put her computer on a timer where like from four to eight every day, she has no internet access in her, like, so there's like nothing for her to check. And like, yes, she could technically go in the back end and start putting on the passwords and whatever. But like, once you set that up, you set that up. And I actually did that for myself at night because that's like an Achilles heel for me. Like, just like, even like once work is over and like, I'm not really being productive anymore, scrolling social media or like, like a YouTube, um, what's the word when you just like endlessly watch like, what's the word? Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That was like at the top of my brain. Um, so, so like that, so having that timer at night where like, I, I just, the internet shuts off, it really helps. I love that. Like it sounds, it sounds so babyish, but 
No, it's, I don't know. It's, it's uh, sometimes you just need that like reminder of like, no, enough, go to mm. bed. Yeah. And it's like being a drug addict almost. Mm. Like if you've got, if you're addicted to sugar and there's sugar everywhere, you're going to eat the sugar mm. and the internet and work is really no different. And I think like as marketers and conversion copywriters and people who study persuasion, we know better than a lot of people how much this stuff has been rigged up to like make us check it more. And so putting those external, like whether it's a timer or like, you know, like asking your family to remind you you're not supposed to be on your phone in a loving way, whatever that is, I think that is so important. And we don't need to like look down on ourselves for that because literally distraction has been engineered very carefully by very intelligent people and algorithms that are even smarter than the people who wrote them. So Mm. I also just want to like call attention to when you were talking about the balls dropping and we kind of introduced it as like, how do you balance work life and family life. And I really loved that um, your answer was also about you. Cause I think for women, it's a lot of like, how do you balance work and family? And it's like, okay, yeah, but also how do I balance like my needs? And, and for you, your work is part of what you need in order to feel fulfilled and lit up and like you're doing something. And I just think it's so important for all of us to recognize that um, it's not a work-life balance. It's like a work-life and myself, my soul, what what I need in order to exist in a happy way balance. And I just, I really feel like there were like some actual actionable, actionable advice that you gave there. So thank you so much for that. It's mm-hmm. yeah, really, really helpful. Sure. Sure. I mean, one, one more practical thing that I found has made a huge difference and this kind of ties into what we were talking about with the team is I do like an insane amount of voice notes. So like voice notes and videos and like my team members know that before they start working with me, like if you're not okay with my voice notes, then we're not a good fit because like I can talk a lot faster than I can write. So like I'll review a piece of copy. I'll give like a five minute video feedback. Um, I'll get an email from someone, forward it to a team member and then send them a voice note of like how to respond to it. And like give them, I'll give them like a few pointers on how to craft the email. They'll send me the emails to review. I'll voice note a few more points of feedback and they send off the email. So like, it sounds like, it sounds silly. Like I could have written that email and totally could have, but like all those little emails add up. So like, I'm at a point where I, I really don't want to be writing any client emails ever. I, I can help you strategize and I can, I'm behind the scenes working through the process, but actually writing the emails doing the work. So I'm just giving, giving direction verbally that has saved me a ton, ton of time. So. Oh, that's so funny. We're at such a similar place. We have just implemented this where I'm not doing the client emails anymore and what a game changer. And so we've got like you know, templates from Pat, like I've written so many client emails So all we have to do is go into my inbox, search the old responses for things that often I'm just repeating again and again and again, templatize them and then make some slight tweaks and I can review them. But yes, I love that tip. Voice memos, looms. I use loom like 20 times a day. It's so much faster than, yeah, having to type out 
feedback or responses. And yeah. It's also more fun. I feel like it, it replicates a little bit more of that, like in office experience mm-hmm. more yeah. than just writing emails to each other. For sure. As long as you don't ramble. I hate rambling videos. <laughs> I like put it, I put all, I'm like from New York, like we're very fast paced. Like I, I like just put all my videos on two times speed, like no matter, like without even listening to them, like I just start off at two times speed. I assume, and I joke, I have like a coach who I worked with, um, SD Rand. She's amazing. She's also originally from New York, lives in Los Angeles now. And I joke with her that she is the only person who, if I put her WhatsApp voice notes on two times speed, I cannot understand a word she's saying, <laughs> you know, so I know for her, I have to go back to regular, but everyone else. Um, yeah, you'd be three times speeding my looms. I'm a rambler <laughs> for sure. I feel so bad sometimes in Voxer, like the voice memos. I cannot end a Vox to save my life. <laughs> like I just, and I'll often just say it like, I'm really bad at ending boxes. I'm just going to stop and then I'll stop. <laughs> See, but I love, I would love your voice notes anyway, Shanti. You know why? Because I feel like you, you just like instill calm, like just by talking. And I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm like, I feel some serenity just listening to you. So like, Uh it's like good for me. It it creates like more balance in my life. Well, I'll send you a voice note anytime. (laughs) Just don't ask me to do it on LinkedIn because clearly I only check it like twice a year. (laughs) Uh yeah, Miel had I had invited her on, she'd responded, and then I didn't check LinkedIn for months. And <laughs> so apologies for that. I should probably suck it up and use it more. And I was pretty inspired by like the response you get on there and the and the type of content that you're putting out is so relatable and it's so you. And I still have this assumption around LinkedIn that it's like stuffy professional version of Facebook. And it's really not, I I acknowledge that it's, it's definitely not that I'd love to just as a, as a kind of a final question, ask you like, how has your LinkedIn presence impacted your business? Yeah. So it's really interesting. There was a period where LinkedIn was absolutely critical to growing my business. So that was like, when I spoke at the conference, when was that 2019? think so like that year from like 2018 to 2019 like LinkedIn blew up my business that was that was when I was still I had I had just launched my website and I was still very much like gaining my footing in the copywriting world or I should say like raising you know wanting to raise my prices and grow my business and and that's what like established me as as a business owner link my, my LinkedIn content so like just being crazy consistent about putting out valuable, interesting, engaging content on LinkedIn three times a week, networking a little bit. So messaging people and talking to them. And like, if someone put up a really interesting post, instead of just like commenting on it, which I would do also like also reaching out to them with some personal feedback and say, I really appreciated your post because X, Y, Z, that kind of thing. So developing some, like spending like, let's say 15 to 20 minutes a day, building deeper relationships with people I care about and admired on LinkedIn. And then LinkedIn, like, while I still use it a lot, I much less frequently. Like, I think I've kind of reached a place in my business where I need it much less. Most of my clients right now are coming through word of mouth. And, you know, maybe there'll come a time where, like, I create such a scalable model that, like, 
I need, you know, even more leads than I'm getting right now. And then LinkedIn will come into play. And that's the beauty of it. Like I see it as like very much a tool. So like use it when you need it. I try not to go like silent for months on end because that's not good for the algorithm. And that makes people think that you just like fell off the, fell off earth. But I, I really don't rely on it much anymore. Like between my copy try program and just like, like repeat clients and then word of mouth clients. Like, thank God, it's just a very steady flow of leads through that alone. Oh, that's so amazing. Congrats on all your success. It's been so wonderful to just connect and catch up and to soak up some of your wisdom. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this has been a treat. And and one day when I create my own podcast, I need to get you on and Dawn so I can pick your brains about all the different ways you've built these amazing businesses. So that's one of my goals, maybe not for 2022, if we're being realistic, but one of these days, a podcast is in the making. Mm. Yeah, I would well, definitely subscribe. So yes. do, do let us know sooner than later when, when you come out with it, because yeah, it's been really excellent. And I would just also like to say delegate wise, get a producer because there is no way we would be able to do this if we didn't have our production team. So yeah, it's really there's so many things we could do right and so like if you can do it as easily as possible that's the nice way yeah thanks so much for being on I'm so inspired and um I'm gonna follow you on LinkedIn um because I want to see what you're posting so um where can our people find you best I guess LinkedIn your website yeah. Um, what about Copy Tribe? Where's the best place to find that? So Copy Tribe right now just has a waitlist page, like enrollment just closed for this past cohort. Yeah. Um, copytribe.co. So you can see some details about the program there and sign up to the waitlist and you'll get like interesting copywriting emails until the next cohort opens. So that's another place you can reach out. Thank you so much, Michal. We will see you guys. Probably not, but we'll chat with you soon. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Whoa, look at you listening to the very end. We are so deeply grateful for you and borderline obsessed with hearing what resonated most and how you're taking the seeds planted in these conversations and sowing them in your life and business. It would mean more than you know if you would share this episode with a friend or subscribe, rate, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews tell the algos behind the apps that we are worth pressing play on. So please, if you're feeling generous, take two minutes to share the love. And if you are curious around what your unique advantage is in this wild and wacky online world, take the unfair advantage quiz at shandyzack.com forward slash UA quiz. And thank you again, sunshine. Go light up the world and we'll see you next time.